You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome to Thrive. It's good to have you here. You see we're starting a new series, or we did last week. It's called The Seven Deadly Sins. And I think we're exploring these. I like the word exploring because we're not here to berate. We're not here to lecture. We're not here to demand perfection or shame anyone. These are all things that we all struggle with in different ways. Um, This is not a series to say, you better not even think about (laughs) greed or gluttony or envy. Um, It's really much more about our human fallibilities and foibles and how deadly that can be you know, left unchecked. And, um, but that I, we have a God who has a cure for it all, for that deadliness, who is himself the resurrection and the life. And uh, this text today that we're going to be look at, we're going to be uh, working on gluttony today. Um, and uh, you think right away, what do you think when you hear gluttony? Food. It's not really about food or only food. It's about consumption, just living a consumer, suck it all in, take it all in lifestyle. It's so, yes, food, pleasure, experiences, material gains. You can be gluttonous in so many ways. (laughs) You know, we believe in original sin. That doesn't mean I sin originally. (laughs) My sins are copycat sins. Uh, my sins are the same ones I keep doing, okay? What original sin means is that there is an origin point where it happened all the way back with Adam and Eve, okay? There's an origin point to sin, and um, we all get it passed on to us, the gift that keeps on giving, um, from one generation to the next all the way through, um, and we're all stuck in this. That's what we're talking about. So when we talk about the seven deadly sins, we're really talking about different proclivities we have from that original root, if that makes some sense. So some people, yes, my original sin and your original sin is the same, but my proclivities and your proclivities are a bit different. You know, So I'm a little more easily envious of other people. Um, or maybe a little wrathful at times. Um, Others may be more greedy or gluttonous or slothful, right? So we all have those different things, and it also seems like there's different cultures and different periods of time where different sins seem to be highlighted. So some cultures believe anger is a good thing and you need to let it out, and other cultures believe that what makes the economy hum is greed, so let's go for it. And still others um, are more self-indulgent or what you'd call gluttonous, and others where sloth or leisure take precedence. So different cultures around the world, none of them are perfect, none of them are great. Ours as well um, will kind of emphasize one or the other. But the root is still the same. The root is still the same. And in fact, you know, the seven deadly sins list is not something you're going to find in the Bible as like, here's the list. In Proverbs, there is a list of seven things that God hates, but they're not this seven deadly sin list specifically. Uh, It was something that was developed over time to say these are the seven that we think are, but you probably could come up with new ones 
in a sense. I think the tribalism of our day and age is a deadly sin that's going on right now. But you could also say tribalism is very similar to pride. Okay. So maybe the seven are not a bad list to go with. So today, we, like I said, we're looking at gluttony. And um, first of all, I want to do say thank you to so many of you that have been so supportive um, at the news that my mother passed away this last Wednesday up in um, Michigan, and I'll be traveling up there this week. And um, there's some real um, timing God has made that this parable that we're going to be looking at in Luke is the one text that I'm preaching on today, considering my mother's life and how she lived it and how where she found her help and her sustenance and her foundation. And... Um, versus how many people do live and handle it. And so we're looking at that today. And like I said, the best place I think when I think of the, uh, that sin of gluttony, the best one I could think of is this text from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. So let's read that now. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried up by the angels to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades, being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abram far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. There is so much in this story, in this parable. And um, we're going to try to delve into some of it. I've preached on this before, um, so I'm not going to hit everything. Aren't you happy? <laughs> I'm probably going to hit too much. But um, wait till I'm, I'm preaching my mother's funeral sermon. I wrote it about a month ago because I knew this was happening. It was therapeutic. And I don't think up there are, they're, going, they're used to as long as I preach. <laughs> Because this summer when I happened to be there and my friend Laura passed away from cancer, many of you have met her because she came down here for a vacation um, before that. Um, that sermon was 15 minutes. Wait. <laughs> I'm going to try to shorten it, but there's just so much to say. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But here, so we're going to learn from this parable, I think, these things about gluttony. And I think it's important for us to understand gluttony for these three reasons. For you to understand your own heart. Secondly, for living at peace in this world. And thirdly, for knowing the love of God. 
Okay? So we're going to just leave those points up here, and I'm going to let um, uh, Hugo back there kind of work on our problem that we've had with the internet and all, losing all the slides and everything we have for this morning. So he's going to try to type in the words for the last couple of songs. Yes, he was just typing as fast as he could. And uh, oh, I tell you, what fun, huh? What fun. We have found out what's important. Backups, that's true. But as far as, hey, I'm just thrilled with air conditioning, right? You know, there are so many people right now, I don't even know what the estimates are. Oh, Lord have mercy what the estimates are around here. So, um, and this parable gets to kind of that point. It's like what this man, this rich man, was all about wasn't really that important in the end. And he kind of missed the whole point. So happens with our hearts. So easy to get off track. So our first point, the main character is a rich man. Now what's fascinating is this is the only parable Jesus ever told us that has a name, proper name used in it. The name Lazarus. We'll get to that later. But it's the opposite of the character you expect to have a name. Because Lazarus is as poor as can get. They tend to be the nameless masses in that day and ours. But instead, it's the rich man who has no name to him in this parable. Isn't that fascinating? It's fascinating. And that says something right there. Now, you have to realize this rich man was probably not an atheist. They didn't have atheists in those days. They had everybody believed in a god or something. He probably was even a fellow Jew because the parable is set in the, um, you know, the land of uh, Judea and Jesus' culture. He believed in God. It's just he believed in himself a little more, it seems like. So he ends up without a name and without anything in this parable. So what's going on here? Uh, it's the, Romans, uh, the Roman philosopher named Cicero. Now, in my educational experience, we got away from the classics. I never studied Cicero. Did any of you study Cicero? You did? Cicero? You don't know who Cicero is? You did, James. What? I studied Latin for seven years. Well, there you go. Anybody have Latin here? One year. One year? One year? Two years? Two years? Zero years. I had a year of German. You have to understand where I came from. What? Ein bisschen. Yeah. That's about all I know. A little. Probably could find where the toilet is and know how to order some food. That's about it. The important stuff, right? Yeah. Right. So in Latin, so Cicero, huge philosopher in Rome, and he talked about what's called the summum bonum. The Latin is the sum, summum, or the total totality, and bonum is good, bonus, right? So the ultimate good, okay? And um, the highest good in life and how that is really your identity, what you're striving for. What is your summum bonum? For this man, it was his wealth and accumulation of pleasure. 
His summum bonum was the fact that he had it all, and he enjoyed it all, and his whole identity was wrapped up in that. In Luke 16, uh, Abraham says to him, child, remember that you in your lifetime received, past tense, your good things, your summum bonum. You had it. But you were so foolish because your summum bonum could be taken away from you. And when you don't have that, what are you? I think the reason why Jesus doesn't name the rich man, and he does name Lazarus instead, and like I said, we'll get to that name later, is partly to say all he was was what he owned and what he consumed. All he was. Gluttony makes money, property, experiences, personal enjoyment, food, pleasure, whatever you want, the fundamental thing in someone's life. You are what you eat and consume. But the sad thing is what you consume starts to consume you. It leaves you more empty. And hell is just the place where you get your summum bonum that you've strived for freely throughout life. And you've chosen and the consequences of that. Many of you, sadly, we kind of know this. We've seen it, either neighbors, friends, family members. Um, we've seen how devastating addictions can be in our society. And uh, there are three aspects of it. First of all, there's kind of a disintegration of the person who is, that is, everything starts to fall apart in that person's personality. And I think, John, you kind of know this very well because he's an addictions counselor, correct? Right. So a person starts um, needing more and more of whatever substance it is to get less and less of a high or thrill. And you become reduced to just that pursuit of whatever that thing is. And your whole life gets wrapped up into that. And then secondly, from disintegration, there's also isolation. All of a sudden, all your relationships are just ways for you to use people to get more of that stuff, whatever that addiction is. And you cut yourself off from the things that you have valued the most in life, the people around you. And they don't know what to do about it. And then from that point as well, there's a third aspect. It's called denial, which is just so hard to understand. But the person who's addicted often will tell you, oh, I'm fine. I can stop. No, that's not the problem. You're the problem. No, you, you don't understand. And name it again and again and again. And we see all these three aspects in this individual, this rich man, actually, as he is in hell. Disintegration, isolation, and denial. What's fascinating is how um, it all kind of works out. The rich man, he says, he calls out from being in hell, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. He is disintegrated. He has nothing because everything was tied up in what he consumed. He is isolated. He has no friends. And 
He is in denial of his situation. What's so funny about this is you realize he doesn't ask to get out of hell. He wants Lazarus to come into hell. He is still trying to order people around to meet his needs. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, have you known people like this? They can be in the worst situation instead of actually having that situation wake them up to how selfish they are. And they just keep trying to grab more people into themselves and it's like a black hole that never fills up. And compared to his life, in Luke 16, 19, it says there was a rich man who was clothed in purple. That means he had the finest of garments, the Versace of his day. And fine linen, that's actually a term for un the Egyptian cotton underwear. He had, you know, the Calvin Klein of underwear. <laughs> who feasted sumptuously. He didn't just eat. He had a delectable gourmet meal every day, it says, which means he forced his servants to break the Sabbath in order to cook him a meal. So he was a user from beginning to end, a taker. And out of touch, in denial, and disintegrating, and even in hell then, at the end of this parable, he basically insinuates the real reason he ended up there is because God did not inform him enough. It was God's fault that he ended up there. You didn't tell me. You should have had somebody come to me. It's like, and Abraham could have said, he just doesn't, but it's like, we had somebody come to you. His name was Lazarus, sitting at your doorstep every day. The community brought Lazarus right there for you to take care of. And you would have found wealth in your relationships, but you cut yourself off. You just thought about yourself. What you find out is the human heart, the human heart is an idol factory, as many have said. And if the human heart is left unchecked, well, we create our own hell. Hell is simply our freely chosen identity apart from God going on forever. Gluttony is just the unchecked result of a condition that what you have been consuming now consumes you. C.S. Lewis I know I have it here somewhere. I'm out of order. Um, C.S. Lewis said it this way, in each of us there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. You know, my mom kind of talked about this a lot in her life. She was thankful at times that we were, you know, we were middle class. We had everything that we needed. She got to experience the world in a lot of ways. She got to see my brother in China for a period of time. She got to go to Europe where my brother was living as well. She visited us. She enjoyed Florida so much. All of these types of things. It's not like her life was without these things, but she was so thankful that she wasn't too wealthy because she knows how easily for her it could have turned into that summum bonum and then consumed her life. And instead, she wanted to be more like, in this story, Lazarus, the one who may have nothing but God. And that was enough. And that's what you find in this story in the end, that it is exactly who has the name, is Lazarus. Lazarus, the name, 
Eliezer is usually the longer version of it is, God is my help. I don't think it was necessarily just a proper name. It was a hint at what life is really all about. If you do not center your life on God, in the end, you will have nothing. Centering on God, you will gain all things. It's kind of the first commandment all over again. I'm way off script now, so don't even look at your notes. Um, so this week in our home huddle, which I would l still encourage people to join in one of our home huddles. Um, in our home huddle, we watched a, a video by Bob Goff. And in it, uh, Bob Goff is just this funny guy. He's just kind of crazy ADHD out there in some ways. Great Christian, very giving and all. And he talked about how he learned to fly. Um, and when he was in uh, the, uh, you know, a plane, OK, not, you know in a different way. And <laughs> he learned to fly in a plane and getting the private instruction, you're up there 10,000 feet or so. I don't know if that's about the right height. Is that about the right height? No, it's too high. 3,000 feet, 4,000 feet, OK. Um, yeah, if you get that high, because they're not pressurized, these planes, correct? Right. And that would cause a problem with, you know, OK. Three, 4,000 feet. And uh, it seems like way up there, right? And um, your instructor will just turn the engine off on you. Because he wants you to know what you're going to do. You've been trained. But now, actually, when it happens, are you going to remember what to do to land this plane safely when the engine's off? So you can do that. That's called gliding, right? Yeah, yeah. No, you can. In fact, but there's three points, three Ps. The first is pick a landing place. Look down and find the place that's the safest place to land. Second is to pitch. That is, pitch the plane down. Don't try to back off and try to float up there, because if you lose lift, you will plummet directly down without any, uh, in an uncontrollable fashion. But you, point, you pitch the plane down as you, and then third, you keep pointing towards that landing place. The reality is, we're all in that kind of a crisis, this rich man and Lazarus and every human being. Just like with my mom. I mean, she lived 89 years, but others have not lived that long. There are people in this area we know, sadly, are no longer with us as a result of Hurricane Ian, right? Now, I don't think too many of them said, yeah, I think I'm going to die in this storm, so that's why I'm going to stay where I am. No. But the question is, where, where are you landing? Where's your life? Where's your summum bonum? What is it all about? The only one I know is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's the way, the truth, and the life. Your career is not the way, the truth, and the life. Your wealth is not the way, the truth, and the life. Your experiences are not the way, the truth, and the life. Let me tell you, politics is sure not the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> Neither are sports the way, the truth, and the life. Sorry, all you Browns fans. <laughs> Cleveland is not the way, the truth, and the life. And neither is Detroit <laughs> or any place else or any nation or anything else or any philosophy or any other religion or anything. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only place you can land the plane safely. 
And I think Jesus is telling everyone, pitch, you know, point in my direction. Keep pointing, keep pointing, keep pointing. Um, whatever we do here, I don't, you know, as far as a church, um, and I, I'm going to share a little more about this in our congregational meeting right after the, the and it'll be short there. Um, but whatever, <laughs> I will. I promise. How do, you, how do Boy Scouts do their, I was not a Boy Scout. Um, but um, whatever we're doing, we need to be pointing to Jesus personally in life. My mom, I think that's the one thing I've gained from her the most. She, and, and by the way, when I, the message I've got is hardly about my mom. I know that sounds sad, but it's like she wouldn't want it to be about her. The best she knew, like, even on vacations, we went to church up north in Hawks, Michigan. We'd get to St. John's in um, Roger City or St. Michael's in Belknap or somewhere every Sunday. We couldn't even take a Sunday off, you know? We're on vacation. It's not vacation from God for her. We'd get there because the one thing she said is we're going to land this plane this is the only thing. This is the way to point. This is what it's all about. It's not about all the other stuff. It's not about our slides and our wonderful music. And it's about Jesus. If this church isn't about Jesus, I don't want to be a part of it. And the good news is, thank you, Jesus, that this church has been and focused. And I hope it will continue. We'll figure it out now that we've gone through Irma and COVID and Ian, that we're going to point towards Jesus and figure it out. I don't know exactly what that all means, but we're going to figure it out. That's what it's about. It's not about the size. It's not about the scope. It's not about the preaching. It's not about, uh, you know, it's about Jesus. It's not definitely about consumption or entertainment. So we had those three points. Um, I guess I should get on to... Um, the only way you're going to get to live at peace in this world is understanding that gluttony is what can happen in the human heart. Because we all have this hunger and this desire for more, this emptiness inside. We're all a bit hollow. That's the condition that sin has caused in this world, and food and material things will not fill it. The foolishness of this rich man is the fact that he thinks somehow if he just sucks enough stuff in, he'll finally feel full and enough and complete. And people who've gone through 12-step programs to whatever come to the conclusion and finally figure out that emptiness does not go away with anything but God. As um, St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. We feel empty until God is the one who begins to fill it. And even as a Christian, if you don't feel empty at times, I'd be shocked. If we don't feel that hunger, that craving, that desire for more, I'd be surprised. The promise is not that you won't have those feelings or that desire or that temptation to try to gain more to fill it. The promise is that ultimately one day 
God will be your all in all. So the name Lazarus, God is my help, becomes your name. It's all about how God is your help. God is the one who will fill you and complete you and give you that joy. So we can be content in this life even when we don't have what we think, quote, we need. We can be content in this life even when we can be so content and thankful in this life we give away stuff that we need. And I think that's what we're going to be doing in the next few months. Most of you have already done it. You've already given to people who have been hurting in this area. That's the abundant life. And thirdly, real quickly now, the third point, understanding gluttony, we understand then the love of God a bit more. Psalm 103, in which I'm going to have, is part of our, actually, my mother's funeral service. Uh, the, the key verse is, uh, the most repeated verse in all of the Old Testament. And it's about the nature and who God is, that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That, that is who our God is. God is merciful. In this parable, it's amazing that Abraham, even as he looks at this rich man, does not look at him in disdain. He does not look at him in, in um, self-righteousness or judgment. He looks at this rich man and calls him child. The Greek word is technon. My child. He is still a child of God, even with his self-consumed, self-focused uh, um, self identity. It is not, then, your status in life. It is the fact that God has come in the midst of our hoarding and consuming and gluttonous world that wants more and more, that since that fruit in the garden has tried to take instead of to give or to receive. And Jesus enters into our world and is consumed by it. In a sense, on the cross, he is emptied of everything because of our greed and gluttony. You see, people don't change because they're forced to. Yelling and telling them doesn't do it. The only antidote for a self-centered, self-consuming life is a self-sacrificing, self-giving love that goes beyond all reason that we see in Jesus Christ, who is the one who on the cross cries out, I thirst. Do you realize he's not looking for a delectable morsel? He's looking for the most basic of all human needs, water. The one who is the water of life dies thirsty. The one who is the son of God dies as the sinner, the criminal. All for your sake. All to fill you, to complete you, so that you have him as your identity. So Jesus doesn't warn us about identity or, or about gluttony and say, don't do it. Uh, <laughs> he's inviting you once again, I think, with this parable to be um, to be filled by him, 
to be pointing towards him, to be pitching into him, to be trusting him, to realize the fullness of life, the fullness of who God is, well, is how he emptied himself for us to give us that life. And that is when you can, quote, extinguish that craving for more, to be content. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this day we are thankful. You are so good to us. Um, You see so many who have pursued so much in this world and who are still trying to accumulate and who, like this rich man, have tied up their identity in things that will never give them what they want. It's a big lie, Lord. How this rich man was a fool because he didn't rely on you, trust in you, or find his uh, being in you. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us to be as Lazarus, maybe with nothing, but when we have you, we have everything we need. Lord God, you know the hurt and harm and struggles we are having in this area, not just for a short period of time, just two weeks after, but now, Lord, it's going to be for years. We pray that you would help us as a congregation with whatever we have, to serve you, to glorify you, to point toward you, Jesus, no matter what, that all that we have, all that we do, can point others to you, that they can find their place to land, to be safe in you. So, Lord, we know we have friends from elsewhere. I've heard from other pastors and churches who want to come and help and serve. We pray, Lord, that you help us wisely know how to come alongside of them and be with them and partner with them. We pray, Lord, that you give us eyes to see the Lazaruses in our neighborhood and at our doorstep right now, Lord, that we don't turn away, but that we see the opportunity you give us, Lord, to share and to share and to to have the fullness of relationships, Lord. We pray, Lord God, that too, um, everybody seems to be caught up in stuff in our culture and thinking the good life is just more stuff when it's truly thriving as a relationship with you and a relationship with others, Lord. Thank you for the family you've made us here, Lord, the extended family in many ways. Um, I pray that you would truly... um, well, build, build your kingdom through us in whatever way that means. Lord God, I thank you for my mother as well um, and for everyone, including me, that's grieving right now, her loss, but really her gain, our loss. Lord, I pray that healing would continue and that you would use it for the sake of my cousins and neighbors and people in Michigan who may come, that uh, you are glorified, you are the center of that service and that whole experience and somehow people understand you as their sumum bonum the highest good they could ever have and you went to the lowest of lows to give it to them Lord bless us Lord bless our congregational meeting and the decisions that we make this day Um, we pray Lord that you would also guide us in the weeks ahead so that we are effectively serving others and therefore glorifying you. 
We ask, Lord, too, um, that you would prepare us, Lord. We do feel empty. We look to you for not just um, the goods we need every day in terms of food, water, shelter, clothing, friends and family, but we look to you for the greater good, your full presence in our lives. So prepare our hearts, open us up to you as we may receive, Lord, your, um, your gift of yourself in the Lord's Supper this day. And bless, Lord, what we offer to you now in response. The first fruits and tithes of our lives for your kingdom's sake and your glory. All this we pray in Jesus' name.